who's judging who and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's actually a little bit disheartening because, you know, these are learned people that have written uh, commentaries and stuff on this book, and they don't agree. They don't agree with what I want to mean. So we will we'll let the Holy Spirit try to figure it out for us, is my best explanation. So here's, remember I told you last week that sometimes we need to focus out and look at the big picture rather than focus in too much. This is this is what's happening in the big picture, okay? At least as we understand it right now. We are in the age, the church age, the age of grace, and that age will come to an end at some point in time. Okay? Just like uh, the different ages and dispensations have ended and a new one began. God works, gives certain groups of people stewardship over his word and over spreading his word. One time it was the Jews. One time it was uh, Adam. He was, he was in charge of spreading the word to the church. And um, at, when the church dispensation ends, which I believe it will end at the rapture, then the church's job of dispensing the word at that point, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, which is the church, okay? The Old Testament saints do not make up the bride of Christ, apparently. That is the New Testament saints. The Old Testament saints have a different status with God, not any less or not any greater, but a different status. And so as the church age ends with the rapture, okay, and we see that in I believe the picture of John being taken up into heaven in chapter 4, verse 1. The Antichrist, or a world ruler, is going to make, he's going to be on the scene. He may be on the scene before the church is raptured. Will we recognize him? Hard to say. You know, there's been a lot of people that thought a lot of different people were the Antichrist. They thought Ronald. Uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan was the Antichrist because each, yeah, Ronald Wilson Reagan is all six letters in each name. So they thought, well, that's got to be him. So, okay, that's not the way it works. Um, but we, you know, we may or may not see him rise. There's a lot of different political people coming on the scene now. Uh, is the Antichrist alive now? Is that person alive? In all probability, he probably is. Um, I don't think we're that far away from the end. So he's going to make a peace treaty with Israel and its neighbors. And this peace treaty, which, by the way, Donald Trump is working on a peace treaty right now, okay, may include some type of a two-state solution where the Palestinians get their state and the Israelites keep, you know, their state. They may have to give up, may ask the Israelites to give up some ground. You know, it's interesting when when you go to war and you take spoils from war, you don't go back and ask, can we have our spoils back? <laughs> you know, it's just silly. You defeated this in war. 
And that's what the Israelites did in 1967 when they took uh, Golan Heights and they took etc., uh, etc. Et but they may have to give back some of the land to, to, to do this peace treaty. So what's going to happen, I believe, is during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And it's interesting that at that point in time, from the signing of the peace treaty, the Gentile rulership of the world is going to come to an end. Okay? Because Jesus Christ is going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords, and it says he's going to rule from the throne of David in Jerusalem. Right? And that's going to happen at the start of the millennium. Now, so the first three and a half years of tribulation apparently are going to be troubling years. There's going to be signs in nature that, that there's upheaval. You know, and, and you shouldn't think that's strange, because if you think about it right now, there are signs of upheaval in nature even right now. Look at the hurricane season, the tornadoes. Now you could say, well, that evolves. We haven't had it to this extent. Okay, it is it, getting worse and worse. Um, if one or two, uh, or not Alaska, but Iceland, that's a biggie, and that disrupted air traffic uh, in Europe for a number of weeks, and I'm sure that that cost millions and millions and billions of dollars. But when it comes to the middle of the tribulation, so first three and a half years, we've got these signs and these troubles and these natural disasters. And God is just telling the world that, hey, you need to repent. The world's going to be turned upside down. It says in the Bible that during the midpoint of the tribulation, and Jesus warned about this, that this person of the Antichrist would, in fact, break his peace deal with Israel, go into the temple, the newly rebuilt temple, which, by the way, the plans are all in place. The instruments have all been found. It's just simply a matter of when, at this point in time, they're going to start rebuilding that temple. If they started right now, it probably cost World War III. So there's going to have to be some kind of agreement with the Arabs and the people, the Palestinians, etc., to allow that temple to be rebuilt. And if it's going to be rebuilt on the site, what they think is the temple site now, then the Alaska Mosque and the other uh, Islamic uh, uh, monuments, Dome of the Rock. Dome of the Rock, thank you, will have to be in the outer court of the Gentiles. Okay? Yep. They have not, well, no, they have, we don't know. We don't know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, they they say that the Ark of the Covenant is a little church in Ethiopia. I can't believe that. I'm sorry. Guarded by one unarmed priest? No, no, no. That's the most valuable artifact in the world. Some country would go in there with their helicopters, grab that Ark out, because it's not there. In all probability, 
The priests probably buried it somewhere under the Temple Mount or in the city of David or somewhere. It will be found eventually. Did you see where when Notre Dame burned, I didn't know this, but there was a bit of the crown of thorns that was thought to be part of what was placed on Jesus' head. Yeah, and if we and a, a bit of the cross. If we put together all the bits of the cross that people have claimed to probably a couple of houses. <laughs> and if we put together the crown of thorns that I'm sure many churches you can probably have quite the blackberry bush. You know, with regard to that, I think that God is smarter than that because he knew if he left relics laying around, people would worship the relics, which is what is happening. Which is, they, they don't even have the, the, the true relics and they're worshiping. That's kind of odd. So I, I don't think, first of all, if you think about the cross, okay, that was Roman, uh, that was Roman possession. They're not going to let somebody take Hey, can we have that cross? That looks like a good souvenir. Uh-huh. And if you think, and I thought about this the other day. Think about Mary and the people that were around the throne, right? Or around the uh, cross, right? When Jesus died. There's only four or five of them that we know about. This was on a hill where probably hundreds of people had been crucified. It just so happens that Jesus had the two thieves. Crucified, two criminals crucified on each side, the Bible says. But when they took the body down, the last thing they were thinking about is grab that thorn crown, which is for the crown of thorns. That might come in useful somewhere. You know what I mean? And didn't you teach us on Sunday? The stipes was permanent, yeah. Because so, um, there's no reason they would have taken it. Yeah, if you think about it, okay, if you think about it, if they, yes. I've got a question, you know. You said you were Catholic and stuff. Then the thing in Paris burned down last week. Well, they showed the crown of thorns encased in the glass. Is that fake? Yeah. I think it's fake. Okay, I just. I think it's fake. I really do. I just wondered, you know. You know, and some some claim to have the nails that went went through Jesus' hands and they. Some burial plots. Some 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 um, Roman leader who took him to a stone box that was and that's supposedly it was on some history from somewhere in Huge. Because in fact, there's going to be many earthquakes. The earth is going to 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 literally Romans. It says that the earth is going to quake. And then there's going to be a big earthquake at the very end where the mountain's going to be split. And it's, there's a fault line right running right through that mountain. Right. And the waters are going to change. Yeah. The water's going to change. Divert the water. So back to this artifact thing, you know, the relics. <laughs> I really believe that what was on the mind of Mother and the, and the people that followed Jesus was, they were suffering a great loss and they were mourning. And they, you know, Joseph Barimathea asked for the body, and I'm sure that they probably followed wherever the body went and were, you know, ministering 
uh, helping Joseph to to wrap the body and do all that stuff. They they weren't interested in nails or thorns or pieces of the cross or any of that stuff. The Roman soldiers kept watch in the robe. Yes, yeah, and that was that's interesting. I mean, because the robe was supposedly a seamless robe and it was worth something, and so the Roman soldiers yeah they they gambled for his clothes. Right, so Jesus was naked. Think about the pictures we see. We see the little kind of a loincloth thing. I mean, this was a very humiliating. This was the most humiliating experience that anybody could possibly ask for. And many uh, uh, people that were nailed to the cross did not die uh, right away. They they stayed alive for days, literally days. And uh, that was part of the. It was designed to be torment. It was designed to be torture. Yep. And then finally, if if they if if, if they uh, were just sick of it and they needed the room for the cross or something, they they break the legs or something. But I also read that a lot of times they would leave them on the crosses, and the ravens and the birds and stuff would come and the dogs would come and eat the bodies. And that was, they did this, the, the, the crosses were basically done on main roads. So that when they came into these different places that were under Roman rule, they would know better than just messing around with Romans. So, okay. So the Antichrist, or instead of Christ, is going to go into this newly rebuilt temple, and he is, according to Second Thessalonians, going to declare himself to be the Christ. He's going to be declare himself to be the Savior, uh, God come in the flesh. And if you go back to all of the references that we have to Satan wants, is he wants to be worshipped like God. At the three and a half midpoint of the tribulation, which is about where we are, is when we talk about beasts, we talk about kingdoms and kings, and sometimes they're interchangeable. Okay, the king has to have a king, and the guy's a king, he should have a kingdom. So, kingdom is going to be an accumulation or a confederation. Um, if you look at the old Roman Empire, if you look at the map of Old Roman Empire. Almost all of Europe was in the Roman Empire, and the nations around the Mediterranean Sea were also in the Roman Empire. That would be northern Africa, that would be Israel, um, Syria, even up, up into the region of Turkey. And so when we think about this confederation of nations, that are the beast is going to be the head of. We have to remember that the Roman Empire was huge, so this may not be what we consider to be Germany or France or whatever. This may be uh, Middle Eastern nations, okay, or a combination of all of the above. And when we look at the European Union. We just started out with just a few nations, and I believe that now we're somewhere around 24 or 25 nations, maybe more. 27. 
Is it 27? Yeah, and there are nations that have actually applied for membership that haven't got in yet. So if you think about the European Union at 27 nations, that's pretty huge. You know, that covers Europe, and that covers um, even Eastern, some of the Eastern Europe, uh, European nations uh, want to be in that. So it's not far-fetched for us to think about a confederation of nations emerging out of the old Roman Empire. It's not uh, at all foreign to think that eventually there will be one standout person that will come to, to, uh, to lead that coalition. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of George Soros. George Soros. Very, very, very wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. He's actually Jewish, too, believe it or not. And he financed around the world, and he actually finances a lot of foment, uh, uh, people that are trying to, to, uh, overthrow governments in the state. He's a bad man again. But he's very, very wealthy, and so he, that's how he uses his wealth. Well, someone like him to come on the scene and just wield power and take over uh, something like the United Nations or the European Union or something like that. Yes? I just read the other day that he contributed $50 million to organizations that are freeing people up to Mexico. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot of financing in that thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He's also a Nazi. He's also what? A Nazi. You a Nazi? How, how do you get a Nazi Jew? His father was in the Nazi. Hitler was a Nazi Jew. Yeah, by his grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so here's where we're at. We're, we're in Revelation chapter 13. Okay, we're going to finish this tonight. So this, this, Kingdom or this beast comes out of the sea. And in verse one, maybe two. Uh, verse one says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads. The seven heads we we believe represent kings, and the horns represent power, with ten horns, ten pounds on his horns. And on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard that would represent Greece, but had feet like those of a bear that represents the Medes and the Persians, or as we know today, the, the Iranians and their, their people. The mouth like that of a lion, that's the Babylonians, and that would be uh, modern day Iraq. The dragon. That would be Satan from, from chapter 12. Gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Now this is interesting because when um, Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, Satan told him that he had the power to give Jesus the kingdoms. Remember that? Okay. So he is the prince of the power of the air. Satan does have that power, but it's administered by God. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. Okay? Now, it says this, one of the heads 
of the beast. So we know that there's seven heads. So if this is, if the seven heads represent kings, one of these kings says, seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Now if you look back in, uh, in Revelation and in the Old Testament, it tells us that this wound was from a sword. Okay, so I don't know whether this is a war wound or whether it was an assassination attempt or something like that. If indeed this is talking about an individual person, wound by the sword. It says the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast who can make war against him? And remember something about the people on the face of the earth. We have got Jewish people, okay? We've got 144,000 Jews, the seal of God on their foreheads, and these Jews now are Jewish believers, if you will, okay? They're Jewish Christians. We also have the nation of Israel who has a lot of unsaved Jews in it. We also have some Gentiles that probably have become Christians during this time through one team <coughs> or the other. You know, maybe, have you ever met a non-Christian who knew the Bible just about as good as you did? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> they, they read it like three or four times through and they can remember every bit of it. Yeah, and and so there will be people around that have had the words spoken to them. Maybe have gone to church, maybe you've heard a television program or something that will recognize that this is a spiritual dilemma and they will come to the Lord. But you have to remember this, that the majority of the population of the earth, which by now has been decimated by about half, okay? So there's been a lot of turmoil in the face of this earth. They are staunch unbelievers. They are unbelievers to the point here where it says they worship the dragon. They are actually satanic worshipers. They are actually the ones that refuse to come and have their sins forgiven. They would rather revel in their sins than come to know, humble themselves and come to know God. So this is a very uh, dangerous time for Christian people. Because they're going to be persecuted. Remember, if the Antichrist is going to claim to be God, he's going to have a religion. And if you don't follow that religion, then you're going to be on the outside. And we see later on in chapter 13 that he proposes that all inhabitants of the earth receive some type of a mark. And without the mark, they are unable to or normal commerce, buy and sell, etc. They're they're good. They're going to be outsiders. And you know, we think about it now. You've got your survivors, okay? And they are uh, preppers, maybe, and they've got uh, food set aside, and they've got uh, ammunition and guns, and whatever they need, medical supplies, whatever they need. But you know, you can really only hold out so long. And in the case of preppers, um, there's, compared to the whole of the population, they're probably a, a very small group compared to the whole. 
So this is going to be a bad, bad time to be alive. In fact, we're going to see Revelation 14, where it says that death is welcome. For the believer, for the believer, death is welcome, rather than the, the uh, consequences. It says here in verse 5, the beast, okay, so this is the Antichrist, was given a mouth to utter, utter proud words and blasphemies, and to exercise his authority for 42 months. Everything at this point is 42 months, uh, three and a half years. That's how much time we got left for this Gentile kingdom. Now, what kind of blasphemies would be really, really bad? Well, to sit in the temple of God to say that you're God, or to say that you're Jesus Christ, that's pretty blasphemous, isn't it? So it's going to be along those lines that, and, and he will blaspheme things in heaven, the name of Jesus will be blasphemed, etc. It says here that, um, in verse 7, he was given, he was given power. Okay, who gave him the power? Well, Satan gave him the power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nations. So this is just apparently not just a Middle Eastern thing. This is going to be worldwide. It says, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So now he tells us to understand. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, in other words, if you're going to be thrown into prison because of your faith, into prison, you will go. If anyone is to be killed by the Martyr with the sword, with the sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Any type of um, persecution like this calls for a lot of endurance and patience. If you think about this, though, what does he say? Where sin doth abound, grace doth abound more. Okay? When we look at, like, I don't know, have you guys ever read the Fox Book of Martyrs? Okay, it's very, very interesting. He, this this uh, author, he starts with Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, okay, and goes through the whole list, all, I mean, he goes into, into uh, hundreds of years with the martyrship. And the one thing that's kind of a common thread over it all because if you think about the Spanish Inquisition and the other Inquisitions where the Catholic Church persecuted people that did not agree with their dogma, okay? Um, God gave these folks extra grace to make it through that time, okay? Just like we have extra grace when we're faced with severe trials of some type or another. And God gives us that grace to make it through it. And we get through the other side, and then it's like, whew, I'm glad I made it through that. So that's going to be kind of the situation here. Verse 11, then I saw another beast. So this is another. It, this may be a kingdom. It's a religious kingdom for sure. 
which means he's going to have a religious king coming out of the earth. He, so this is this person, this king of this religious kingdom, he had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So he looked like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. In other words, his words were satanic. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So this is this is the, the last part of the unholy trinity. The holy trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The unholy trinity is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Okay? The false prophet does not put the spotlight on himself. He puts the spotlight on the Antichrist, just like the Holy Spirit doesn't put the spotlight on himself. He puts the spotlight on Jesus. Now, it says, he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf to make the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that God will send them a deception so that they will believe the lie. What is the lie? The lie is that the Antichrist is the Christ. The Antichrist is the Savior. That's the lie. Okay? Now, it says, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. This is not hard to picture because in every dictatorship I can think of, they all set up images of themselves. Okay? Uh, and of course we read in Daniel about the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up that was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and covered with gold and set out in the plain of Shiner and the people of that kingdom were ordered to bow down and worship that image. Okay? So that was a forerunner of this. Now, it says, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So could this be artificial intelligence of some type? Okay. Um, so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So he gives us a choice here, the name or the number. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast or his man's number. His number is 666. So if you look at John writing this in roughly 96 AD, this is about 60 years, a little over 60 years when Jesus was killed, right? 
he and I, believe, I really do believe that that this is this could be dual prophecy is that he if if you add up the number six 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 or six one six it adds up to Nero a Caesar Nero so Nero was the worst of the emperors right up there alongside of Caligula and uh, maybe one or two other ones that that just were they were insane. I mean, these, they, they were insane, and their power had gone to their head, and who knows what else, you know, what else they were sick of. But they were insane people. So, I really believe that when this man of sin, or this Antichrist, comes on the scene, he will be a Nero-like figure. Okay? Nero had control of the Roman Empire. He um, persecuted Christians. He assembled armies. So I believe that this is a forerunner or a hint of what this guy's going to be like. Now, chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I probably read half a dozen commentaries today at least. And they couldn't agree with the Lamb standing on heavenly Mount Zion or earthly Mount Zion. Is the 144 the same as the 144 that we read about in Revelation chapter 7? Some didn't think it was, some thought it was. Now, let's let's keep reading and let's see if we can figure it out, okay? And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters. So John, I believe here, uh, when we think about this, was, was on the earth looking at these things in chapter 13. So I would assume he's still on the earth looking at these things when chapter 14 begins. Now, I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Now this is very interesting because um, you know, were these guys celibate? Is that what they're saying here? So remember, remember this. This is in opposition to the majority of earth dwellers, right? Now. The majority of earth dwellers are very, very ungodly. There is sexual promiscuity, I'm sure is rampant, because we're seeing that today, aren't we? So, you know, I mean, it's just going to only be if, if the church of Jesus Christ, the saints are taken out of the world, that influence is gone. 
television programs are not being produced, etc., etc. The witness, the witness, that whole witness now is gone. The witness has to come from somewhere else. And so evil will blossom, if you will. And I believe that when he mentions these things, okay, and let's look at them for just a minute, these who, who did, these are those who did not defile themselves with women, or they kept themselves pure. So there's going to be a lot of defilement, sexual defilement in this tribulation period, and this is the flip side of that coin. Now, does this mean that these people were single or celibate? Is do, do a married couple, do they defile themselves? No, they don't do that. There's no defilement in marriage between a man and a woman. So this really isn't necessarily saying these guys are all single. Uh, it just says that they did not defile themselves with women, or they kept themselves pure. Next, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, is is this a is this a telescopic view of the future? Okay, because Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet. It's only in the middle of the tribulation, right? So Jesus Christ hasn't come back, so they're not they're not following him because he's not going anywhere, at least on the face of the earth. So that this is a little a little interesting. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. But well, we know that um, in Thessalonians it says that the Antichrist is the lie. I mean, his whole thing, his whole reign, his whole scenario is a lie. And these are the people that are not following. Yeah, and that, that could very well be. So that's what I was saying, that maybe this is a, a look into the future, that these were on earth at one time, and now they're in heaven. Um, these are definitely believers. It's interesting because, let me, let me go to Revelation 7, and let's look at at this, I think it's Revelation 7. Yeah, it says 145,000. So if you go to Revelation 7 and um, verse 3, it says, Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Servants of our God. So these 144,000 are servants of God. We know that. The, then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, all the tribes of Israel. So these are Jews, and it even goes so far as to tell us how many from each tribe. Okay. Now, as we go back to Revelation chapter 14, is it just a coincidence that there's this other 144,000 coming up? Or are these the 144,000 that have been sealed? It says here, okay, then I looked, I mean Revelation 14, 1, then I looked and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name 
and his mother's name written on the foreheads. So when we look at Revelation chapter 7, we don't see the, we just see that there is a seal, right? They are sealed. It doesn't really tell us what the seal says. I'm assuming that these are the same 144,000. Yeah. Could I be wrong? Sure. Uh, but it just seems odd to me that there would be two groups of 144,000. Both of them would have something written on their foreheads, and they wouldn't be the same group. But this has got to be the same group. Um, so, it says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. So, is this Mount Zion in heaven or earth? Let's see. My preference is to go to... Psalm 2 6. Let me see what that says. Let me see Psalm 2 6 says. You may or may not have been able to do this. Psalm 2 6 says this I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. Depends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So, this definitely has to do with the Lord Jesus and his rule. And maybe what this is doing is it's looking forward. Okay, It's looking forward to the time when Jesus will indeed stand on the earthly Mount Zion and these and these hundred and forty four thousand will be with and judging this chapter fourteen talks about and we're gonna to get to it in just a second about angels Claiming the everlasting gospel. And let me ask you this. Is judgment a part of the gospel? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He who believes on the Lord will be saved, and he who does not believe has been judged already. Okay. So judgment, I really believe that chapter 14 is indeed speaking about judgment. So let's go on. So, what, what we may be seeing here is we may be seeing a telescopic view of Jesus Christ as he's standing on Mount Zion, 144,000 CO people with him. Now, remember something that sometimes in the same paragraph we jump from one era to another, right? Just like we saw back in Revelation where we there was a 2,000 year difference between verse 5 and verse 6. Okay? So let's just keep going. It says, And I heard a sound from heaven. Now it's interesting because if he was in heaven, you would think he would word this differently. You know, it sounds to me like he's on the earth. And he heard this sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing the harps, and they sang a new song. So these harpists, well, let's see, 
who's they? Um, they may refer back up to the 144,000. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except 144,000. So this looks like the picture goes back to heaven, doesn't it? Because they were there before the throne. It says, no one could learn the song except 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure, they followed the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God in their land. Now, I, I, heard, I read some of these commentators today, and it just kind of blew my mind. And I'm a kind of a simple-minded person, so I look, try to look at things simple. They said, well, these 144,000, they are the cream of the crop of Christians. You know, the last time, the last time I checked the Bible, God kind of treats everybody sort of fairly. He's not partial. Okay. So I believe that what this 144,000 is, is probably the first fruits of the Jews that are saved and come to know Christ. So uh, there's going to be many, many Jews that are going to come to know the Lord during this time. And these people are probably the first ones because they were sealed. Another thing about the sealing that you need to, to notice is that they make it through the tribulation. Okay? The sealing protects them from death, uh, from being uh, killed apparently through the tribulation. Let's keep going. It says here, no lie or spy was found in their mouths. They are blameless. They are, they are blameless. Verse 6, then I saw another angel flying in midair. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, now you notice, what he doesn't say is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's not what he says. He says, he said in a loud voice, fear God. And give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. It's not the day anymore. It's the hour. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So this is really kind of a warning, isn't it? To the inhabitants of the earth. Listen, you better fear God. And you better worship him and not take the mark of the beast. A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. We'll study about Babylon the great in 16 and 17 and 18. Um, Babylon the great, in this particular instance, I believe, is probably talking about the woman that rides the beast, because it says in Revelation chapter 17, okay, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of a great prostitute who sits on many waters. I believe that this is probably a, the religious kingdom of this time. You know, many have said that it's the Catholic Church, but I, I would just say this, it's the, it's the ecumenical church. It's the Church 
that has banded together, which will be Catholics, Protestants, there might be some Baptists in there. I don't, these are all people that do not, these are religious people that do not know the Lord. Okay? So it's a little unfair to, to, to just say the Catholic Church, although it wouldn't surprise me if the Pope wasn't the head of that particular church because he's a very revered figure. And uh, if you go back to history, there was a lot of folks that didn't know the Lord. Okay? I'm sure that there was a few that did, but there's a lot of them that don't. Now, they had a, what does the Bible say? They had a form of religiousness, but lack of power. Okay? Lack of power of the Holy Spirit. That's in the seven No, uh, that is in the uh, Okay, now, so this is adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated from lying of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, which by the way is the colors of the Catholic Church, um, and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Evidently this is very rich. This organization is very rich. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The title was written on her forehead, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abomination, abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Uh, so, Let's just stop there for just a minute. You know, she was drunk with the blood of the saints. When you think back to the Inquisitions, okay, this that phrase reminds me of the Inquisitions because the church proper, okay, punished those who did not go along with their doctrines, did not pay taxes to that to the church or whatever, and that was really. Church was really, you know, and I honestly, I don't know how, I don't know how the churches that were involved in the Inquisitions, how do they justify their history? You know what I mean? How do you go? How do you even go back and say, yeah, yeah, was part of our church history? Wow, that's quite a, quite a church history. Wall Street has a golden calf at the front door. Amsterdam has Diana on a horse with 12 stars. Is that talking Israel, the woman who takes flight to the desert? Uh, well, that, that is a good question. I don't think so. I think that there's another answer to that, but I'm not prepared to. But I don't think that they would copy Israel. I, I think that there is a, I think that there is a satanic meaning to that. Yeah. Okay. So now let's go back to chapter fourteen, and here's what it says. It says in verse eight, a second angel followed and said, "Fallen, fallen, 
is Babylon the Great, which made all the nations drink the demanding wine of her adulteries. So this has got to be referring to this beast that we read of in chapter 17, which we'll get to pretty quick. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, if anyone... Remember, these angels are in midair. They're, that's what it said. They're in midair, and they are saying these things to the inhabitants of the earth. You know, you wonder about this for just a minute. Who is, who's left to preach the gospel? You know, if, if many of the Christians have been killed or imprisoned, the Jewish people as a whole, or the Jewish nation as a whole, has not accepted the Lord yet. It's really God has commissioned the angels to present the gospel. And what did he say in the gospels? He says, if you don't cry out, the stones will. Okay? So God will use whatever he has to use to present his gospel. Yes, the two witnesses. The two witnesses. Well, we read, let's see. They were killed and taken up into heaven now. But I believe that it this point in time, they may still be alive, so that may be part of the witness. Yes, exactly. Okay, now. No, we're in the last three and a half years now. Yeah. I know. It's, it's really hard. And we, we'll just. It really does. And, and, and there are a lot of. In the book of Revelation, there are a lot of parentheses. So you've got this going up to here. And coming out here, but then you've got those parentheses here that you got to figure out where does that thing fit. The book of Revelation is not an easy book to understand, and that's part of the reason why it's not taught very. Oh man, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I doubt it. There, there are people that have tried, and some have done pretty what I would consider to be a pretty decent job, uh, and we'll get that out to you. Yes. Bible that is written in chronological order, and I have, I have not studied it. But if you would like to look at it and see if you can come up with that, I might help. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's so we'll don't confused. be confused here, okay? All right. In the verses, like you said, just from one verse to another. It's like switching the Bible. Exactly. Living in this time, which I know I would have been through years of experience, that would have been through this time. I 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 would have been through it will reveal truth to you if you're seeking the truth. So I think that, yes, I actually, I believe that people that come to the Lord during this time, there's going to be Bibles laying around. And God, the Holy Spirit, is going to give them uh, wisdom. What we've already read, here is wisdom. If you have ears to hear, let them hear. You know, if you have a heart that wants to understand, understand it. And so, so God is prodding us to hear, to listen, and to understand what's going on. 
He just didn't say it was going to be easy. Okay? But I think this, I think that the more we read it, the more we focus in and then focus out, focus in and focus out, um, I think the clearer it will, it will get. And that's taking the word. This is not taking the <laughs> Yeah. And is that not taking the Will we ever, will we ever totally understand it? I doubt that. Really, I doubt that. Kathleen? So, if you go back for chapter 14, verse 1, it says, not one. Just be back in verse 3, and faith, God, and you're saying that figure, and he's one for a thousand, you're sealed. So, and you're moving in spirit, you're talking all this, even if talking about a man, brother, Now remember what the Bible says too. It says that the earthly, the earthly things that have to do with the temple, the tabernacle, and all that are a shadow of things that are in heaven. So there is a Mount Zion that talks a heavenly Mount Zion. Okay, just as there is an earthly Mount Zion. So that's where the confusion with these commentators came in. Yes, give us some help, you wisdom. <laughs> I used to be very wrapped up in the process of how into this thing it was. I read everything in the book. Then 1988 came to it. I had to read it. So, but, you know, four years after the book of Right. Uh, but I still love prophecy and I still like to do So, I started. Prophecy wasn't given so that we could predict what was going to happen. It was given so that when it happened, we won't be surprised. Yeah. And but that's it's, it's, it's purposely hidden from us. It's almost like a parable of life. You have to live by faith and not by sight. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that completely. And, and you know, like people say, well, who do you think would be the mark of the, the Antichrist? I have the slightest idea. Do, do I care? Yeah, I'd, like, I'd love to know. Will I ever know? I have the slightest idea if that's something God's going to reveal or not. But, but like, like it's been said, prophecy is not given so that we can predict the future. Although there are prophetic things that are going to happen in the future that we know are going to happen, okay, because the Bible says they're going to happen, but it's, it's designed really to, to give us an interest in the Word of God and in continuing to learn and continuing to recognize what's happening in and around us, etc. Prophecy to me is very, very interesting. 
It's not something that you would make 100% of your income from, okay? Uh, although some do that. Uh, but but I, I think it's very, very good to study and know because it is over 25% of your entire life. We, we made that point last week. And if you're, you're going to actually change the book and take out 25%, you need to read the last word. Well, let's see if we can finish chapter 14. Um, it says, A third angel, verse 9, followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worship the beast and his image and receive the mark on his forehead. So, this is another warning message. Or on the hand, he too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into. The cup of his wrath. He will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in his image, or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. So, this really does tell us that hell is an eternal place. And there are many that have said uh, that. It's not. It says here, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Well, yeah, it really does call for patient endurance if the Antichrist requires the mark by herself, right? You're going to have to have a lot of endurance. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Now, come on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. You know, this is this is kind of the last of the martyrs. This is what what Jesus was predicting when the fifth seal was opened in Revelation chapter six. Yes. So. He, what, what they're really saying, what he's really saying here is this, it's going to be a blessing to die. Now, in verse 14, I looked, and this is highly, also highly uh, controversial. I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him that was sitting on the cloud, take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is over. Judgment is coming. Now, is this Jesus Christ on this cloud? Okay, that's what's, it says that, I mean, if, if you look, it says he was seated on the cloud, was one like a son of man. Well, Jesus has been called the son of man with a crown of gold in his head and a sharp sickle in hand. Now, the only couple things bother me about this. First of all, does an angel give orders to Jesus Christ? No. I don't think so. No. And in addition to that, go back and look at the, the statements that Jesus made. Who did he say those are the harvesters? So, this is either Jesus Christ on this cloud. It, it did, does say in the Bible 
As you see him go, so will he come again, right? He went up through a cloud, right? So he's going to come back again, we assume, in a cloud, a white cloud, says here. So either this is Jesus Christ, and he is getting ready to harvest the earth and judge it, or this is an angel, a very powerful angel, that is going to harvest the earth of its these are not the these are not the Christians that are being harvested. These are the wicked that are being harvested. Okay? Now it says here verse 17. So we're gonna leave that for now uh, undecided because we're not really sure. Another angel came out of the temple of heaven. Now this this angel here who said who said to read, let's see what it says here, let me see. Yeah, it says in verse 15 that another angel came out of the temple. So is this the temple in heaven or is this the temple on earth? Is this a plea, a plea to have the earth uh, harvested of the wickedness? Is it a plea or is it an order? Okay, that's another thing. Now we've got another angel that's coming out of the temple in heaven. And he too had a sharp sickle. And when it says another angel, you know, you just, we've looked at a first angel, a second angel in verse 8, a third angel in verse 9. We look at another angel in verse 17. It seems funny that maybe in verse 14, that would not be an angel to retain consistency. But we just don't know right now. It says in verse 17, another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel with a charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles, for a distance of 1,600 stadium. Now, this is a direct reference to the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? And that is how God is going to... Um, Harvest, if you will, the wicked from the earth is in that battle. They're all going to be gathered together against God, and they're going to be in this valley of uh, this valley that is about 184 miles long, and it's called in some some call it the Valley of Jehoshaphat. I believe some call it the Valley of uh, Jezreel. It's called Megiddo or Megiddo which is where we get our word Armageddon. So this is talking about this battle of Armageddon that is going to happen at the very last. So we are looking here at the very last, maybe, maybe days away from the Antichrist being um, defeated. And it's interesting because this is in chapter 14. And we still have, what, six chapters left to go or whatever. Seven, whatever. So it, it is. It is hard sometimes to place 
the beginning from the end, and the middle from the beginning, etc. But here's the deal, is I think that when we get finished with the book of Revelation, we will at least be able to focus out and get a pretty good picture of what's going to happen in those seven years, okay? Well, any questions before we... Yes? What is the equivalent of 1,600 stadia? Well, according to me, it's 184 miles. I've heard 160 miles, I've heard 180 miles, so I'm pretty sure I'm right. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Yeah, they weren't in the 145,000 because they were bad. They were bad. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. This is hard to understand for us, Lord. The good news is, Lord God, is that we know who is the victor, who holds the victory. We know that evil does not win. And that ultimately, Lord, you provide the solutions to everything. We thank you for that, Lord. We do pray for wisdom, discretion, understanding, and knowledge when it comes to this, this great book of yours. And we look forward to studying the rest of it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Next week, uh, I may pull out some scriptures out of Isaiah, Joel, Jeremiah that go along with this, um, this uh, judgment. In the in the uh, back, we'll do that next week. How's that? I hope she gets well quick. I'm sorry, I missed it.